When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabot. And Scott Pasco. This is the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. We're recording this on a Wednesday, a couple days after the Browns introduced Odell Beckham to all of us. Of course, the three of us were there uh, for that press conference that featured Odell Beckham, uh, Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, randomly Miles Garrett, but it was sort of the, you know, the core of most of the core of the team, obviously, you can nitpick who was there and who wasn't. I've gotten tweets about, why wasn't Denzel Ward there? Why wasn't Nick Chubb? Listen, guys, it's only so big. Yeah. It is what it is. Let's get into that press conference, though. Um, first impressions, specifically, uh, of Odell Beckham, who showed up for the presser. He's going to be kind of in and out of the offseason program here early on. Uh, but, but Mary Kay, your kind of first impressions now of Odell as a Cleveland Brown. Well, I think one of the things that really stood out to me about, about him was just how smart, thoughtful, and pensive he is as a person. Just how deeply he feels things and thinks about things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of encapsulated what we have seen from him, how he has grappled with this decision, uh, not this decision, but this move of being traded. Uh, you could see why... He feels it so deeply because that's just the kind of person that he is. You know, he's not someone that's going to let something roll off of his back. Uh, and, and I think that as we move forward here, we're going to, you know, find out more and more that things really, really affect him. So that was one of my big takeaways. Yeah, I, I thought it was, um, I, I, you could just sort of tell in, in his tone and, and all of that. It's, it's not, I, I think some people if they were really stretching, were trying to say, oh, he looks a little unhappy. I don't, you know, that's not it. This is a big life move, and, and you can tell that it is affecting him. Um, it, it's something that he's, he's kind of dealing with and, and working through a little bit. And, of course, he's got to deal with some things, um, you know, off the football field as well to kind of facilitate coming from New York to Cleveland. Um, you, you could tell he was affected by that, and while he didn't necessarily admit to it, you know, it was interesting to sort of see him wear that on his sleeve a little bit during that press conference. But, you know, it's one of those things once he, get out, once he gets out on the field, gets into that routine and kind of realizes, all right, this is a really good situation. I think we're going to see a different Odell Beckham than what we saw on Monday. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is the, the splash he made when he walked into the facility wearing something out of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air collection, <laughs> that outfit that he had. Uh, and he obviously he changed into the, uh, the brown uh, sport coat, I think, uh, when he was at the press conference. What you guys said is, is true. I think he, he obviously 
he isn't talking cliches. He, he seems to really put thought into what he says, you know, um, in answering a lot of those questions. Uh, I was kind of hoping he would maybe talk a little more about why, about his feelings of being traded by the Giants, because I, I've thought for a while that the real, the real problem or the thing he had to really wrap his head around is the fact that they got rid of him instead of Eli Manning. When a lot of people are wondering why the Giants have, have stuck with, with the quarterback who is, seems to be declining uh, in his play uh, instead of shipping off the wide receiver who's at the top of his game and in the prime of his career. But, um, you know, he might not be willing to talk about that. Uh, but I, I think that seeing him up there uh, talk about the coming to grips with it, but also obviously very happy about sitting next to Jarvis Landry and, and and Baker Mayfield, and knowing that he has a relationship with those people, so it, it was it was a good press conference from from that standpoint that we we got to really see how he feels about being here. And and I like that it wasn't. I mean, how many press con- conferences have we sat through where somebody, you know, they go up there and they go out of their way to mention the dog pound, and oh, I'm so happy to be a part of the dog pound, or maybe that day was the first day they've ever even heard of the dog pound, or. Somebody spins something like, yeah, well, I was a, obviously I was a Browns fan growing up, even though I grew up someplace where you would never be a Browns fan. You know, things like that. Is that, Everybody a, shot, is that a shot at Freddie Kitchens No, that's not a shot at Freddie. I believe <laughs> Freddie when he says it. But we've had guys come in that's like, really? You grew up a Browns fan? Are you sure? Mm-hmm. We've seen guys kind of play those hits and try and hit those notes because that's what these press conferences are. They're streamed yeah. live now. These, are for, these aren't for us. These are for the fans. And uh, I, I thought it was refreshing to see him up there. Yeah, he said some of the cliche stuff. He, he said some of the things you're supposed to say. But I do think it was interesting to sort of see him be as honest as he's going to be in a room packed full of cameras and media about how the move kind of did catch him off guard a little bit and, and sort of how he's dealing with it. Yeah, and um, I think my favorite quote of the day from him was when he said, I think this moment uh, will prove to me more iconic than we all realize right now. And it sort of felt that way. When you looked at those guys up there, and I think that's uh, why they put those four players up there, uh, was to show, you know, this is the future of the Cleveland Browns. These are the guys that are going to, hopefully for them, win a championship, you know, win a Super Bowl for the city of Cleveland. And it was, you know, I just thought that quote sort of encapsulated that whole thing. That, that kind of went against what a lot of what we heard from other people that day, and as as well as prior to that, you know, there was the playing down of yes, we have a lot of talent. We got whooped the hell out of out of Freddie, which I'm sure <laughs> we'll talk more about in a little bit here. But uh, he was referring to the talent on the roster, and Baker talked about yeah, everybody should feel like they're a Super Bowl contender. And, you know, but then here you have Odell saying this moment I think is going to be iconic and uh, kind of really leaning into the whole expectation thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, you know it was interesting to kind of hear from him. He was actually a little more um, a little more muted than I expected. You know, Jarvis is certainly at least on on Monday he was the more dynamic of the two, and we've known that about Jarvis since he showed up in Cleveland, kind of saying whatever he wants to say, and, and he's obviously a very dynamic guy and. Um, you know, having never covered Odell Beckham before, it was interesting to kind of see how soft-spoken he was. And again, as, as we've said a few times, just how thoughtful he was. Even though you could tell this is a guy that knows how to deal with the media and knows how to answer questions and, and give a good soundbite. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the whole thing was uh, here you have this big moment where he shows up for the off-season program. And 
I kind of thought that he was going to be around for at least a little while. And we come to find out that later that evening, he boarded a plane to go back to New York. So this was almost, uh, really almost a, a, just a ceremonial kind of day instead of actually him coming and participating in the off-season program. So, I don't know, that took a little tiny bit of the edge off of it for me uh, because, uh, I, I don't know, I think that I would have wanted him uh, to stick around for a while and actually get some workouts in and show, you know what, I'm here, I'm with you guys, I'm going to do whatever it takes. What did you guys think of that? You know, I, I think it's, um, obviously you'd like him to be around, but, um, you know, in this situation where you get traded, the Browns start their program, you know, the, the Giants program isn't going to start until April 15th. I, I don't have the date, but that's when they're allowed to start. Um, so that kind of throws things off a little bit. Yeah, I understand it. I get it. And these first weeks of the program are so, they're bizarre. You know, you can't, the coaches aren't even allowed on the field with guys. Uh, you're not even allowed to use footballs unless you're a quarterback throwing to receivers. And even then, the quarterback has to be the one that, it's, it's really weird what they can do in this first phase of the program. Um, obviously, you, you'd like everybody to be there and everybody be getting on the same page, but I, I, I just don't know that it's that big of a deal. What, what matters to me is I want them to be there when they can actually get on the field and get coached, and, and they can do, um, I don't think they can do 11-on-11 in OTAs, but they can in minicamp. I, I think that's how it works. So yeah, that, that's kind of when I want to see him back and, and all in and, and practicing with everybody. Yeah, I, I... I don't have as big a problem with him with him leaving, knowing that that he was out of the country when all this went down. And you know, we've all been on vacation. If you have to cut <laughs> it short, I mean, you know, things happen, and you have to kind of roll with that and, and figure out how you're going to take care of certain plans. So, it, I have no problem with that. I, I'll be honest. The thing that I was disappointed most with was the fact that they did have four people up there. Just speaking as a as a member of the media and having had to interview multiple people before, mm-hmm. I just I looked at that and I thought this. It's never it's never easy to interview multiple people, and you have some situations where someone's going to answer a question that you wanted someone else to answer. Yep. And I think it would have been better. And this kind of gets back to what you said, Dan, about it really being for the fans and the whole ceremonial and symbolism thing. But having Odell up there by himself and being able to kind of get at certain things with him by himself, I think would have been better for the whole situation. But maybe maybe he was one of the people who wanted to have everybody else up with him. You know, we we don't know. I, but that was, that was kind of what I was kind of disappointed about. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing at first. In fact, I tried to talk to one of the members of the PR staff and try to, you know, see if they wouldn't be willing to do those guys by themselves. It just re- it, it reminds me back when we had, uh, like, Johnny Manziel and Justin Gilbert up there. I mean, yeah. It is. It's very difficult uh, because, you know, Justin Gilbert obviously is not going to be asked many questions in that situation. Miles Garrett, I, you know, after the thing, I remember, you know, one of the reporters said, I asked him a question just because I felt like, you know, we kind of <laughs> yeah. needed to. Um, yeah. So it is a little challenging, but I can also see some of the wisdom in it. Now, you know, maybe not Miles so much, but, you know, but to see Jarvis and, and Beckham up yeah, there kind of interacting, interacting yeah. with each other a little bit. So I, I think that part of it worked. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it also would have been helpful just to have Odell for a few minutes by himself because he's yeah. obviously the uh, the guest of honor, and it is hard to get into the flow of an interview with four people. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of it is the optics. Get those four guys up there, yeah. have Odell with that jersey, 
everybody's tweeting out photos. Everybody's, yep. you know, sending, you know, the Browns get to get their photos and things like that. One thing that, that this reminds me of, and I think we've talked about this in the media room before, uh, Mary Kay, you, you remember last year, they introduced kind of four big free agent signings all at once. It was, it was Tyrod. Yeah. Or I guess a couple guys they traded for Tyrod Taylor, Jarvis Landry. Yeah. Um, I'm forgetting the third person up there, but then, um, Demarius Randall yeah. was sitting at the end. Right. And, or maybe it was just those three, whatever. For whatever reason, Demarius did not get a lot of questions. Um, you know, we didn't know a ton about the guy, you know, the, Jarvis and Tyrod were the, were the highlight guys. Right. Tyrod was going to be the starting quarterback. Jarvis Landry was his big addition. And then as it turns out, as the season goes along, Demarius Randall becomes this spokesperson. He becomes right. this go-to guy every single week. After every game, you got to talk to Demarius Randall. He becomes this go-to like voice of the team. So mm-hmm. these introductory press conferences can certainly be a little misleading, especially when they put four people up there. You've got a room full of media that aren't going to be there again for months and months and months. Um, you know, these things can be a little misleading with with what we see. Yeah, and um, yeah, it, it's interesting because, like you said, you know, we put so much time and effort into Tyrod last year. Think about that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Baker was really an afterthought almost all the way through training camp. And, and some of that was that's how the Browns wanted it. Right. They, they didn't really put Baker out front very much before he took over as the starting quarterback. They kind of did a little bit when he first got drafted and then he kind of got pulled back and he wasn't talking right. every week during camp. And it, you know, it was Tyron. Sometimes we have to deal with what we get. Yeah. But these guys, you know, you looked up there and there were three first round picks up there and then another star multiple pro bowl receiver in Jarvis Landry. So this was, mm-hmm. you know, them, the Browns basically saying, you know, look, look at what we have and look at what we are putting out there for you. Yeah, this was the start of the offseason program, and they wanted to, to send that message. Yep. The other piece was we heard from Freddie Kitchens. Um, we've kind of heard from Freddie a lot. Uh, he spoke at the owners' meetings, of course, spoke at the Combine. Um, so today, so Monday he kicked off, um, really kicked off the offseason program with his press conference. And uh, Scott, as you've mentioned, uh, gave everybody a T-shirt phrase. Yes. What, uh, what were the rankings on the T-shirts now? Baker has one with I'm Feeling Dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, Odell already has one about uh, feeding the dogs or something like the that. Dogs I think got, it was something dogs like got to eat. Dogs, dogs got to eat. eat. There you go. And so now we have Whoopty Hell, which I that day I saw, I don't know if it was it was real or not, but I saw a T-shirt somebody I'm had mocked up. Sure it was real. So, yeah, so there's three. So some of, some of the other players need to step their game up. <laughs> Whoopty hell. Um, I thought Freddie's presser was interesting because he didn't really get into what he said to the team. In fact, the team didn't even put out a video of it. Usually we see a video of the speech. They didn't put out a video of the speech. So, so that was kind of kept on the down low. I thought it was interesting. He talked a lot about big picture. He talked a lot about... You know, how he values his players as individuals and building trust and building relationships that hit on some of the notes that he had in his introductory presser. There weren't a lot of specifics. It it was mostly big picture from Freddie on Monday. Well, you know, it was a little odd for a lot of the people that had covered the meetings. Yeah. Because we just spent one solid hour with Freddie Kitchens at the owner's breakfast a week ago. And it was just really weird to have to sit there and, and try to interview him again when we asked him every single thing that we could possibly think of. So there were times during that interview where there was like a lull between questions. Which, and that usually yeah. never, ever yeah. happens. We're usually tripping over each other to get questions. And we were like, 
mm, not. We asked that last week. So it was actually kind of weird. It was almost uh, a little bit of a letdown from having spoken to him for a full hour last week. I got. I felt like we were hearing Freddie's greatest hits in a way. You know, a lot of the things that he talked about were the same things he talked about in his introductory press conference. He kind of kept going back to the whole we versus I thing. Mm-hmm. He talked about uh, building trust between the coaches and the players. And, you know, he asked us if he's ever lied to us, you know. <laughs> we even got a facetious in there, which, you know, he turned that into a whole a whole uh, English lesson during uh, his introductory <laughs> press conference. Right. Um, but he did talk about a lot of the same themes, and I'm guessing that that was a lot of the stuff that he talked to his team about. There was a moment there where he, he I don't know what he had been asked, but he, he was talking, and he said something to the effect of, uh, well, what I told the players was, and then he paused, he says, well, I'm not going to tell you what I told the players. You know, so I, maybe maybe he went into that press conference thinking that he wasn't going to tell us, or I don't know if it was a spur-of-the-moment thing, but it was it was odd to see him kind of almost go there. Well, that's probably why they didn't put it on video. I mean, it, it, obviously, he wanted this to be a private thing between him and the players, and I think it goes along with the theme of it's us against the world. Yeah. It's us in this room. If you're not wearing orange and brown, you don't matter. So I think he wanted to close ranks and, and just basically say, it's it's just about us in this room, nobody else. And some of that carried through into other parts of his press conference. When he was talking about Odell Beckham Jr., whether or not he was going to show up for the offseason program, Freddie got into this, you know, I'm not going to let the media, you know, draw a line in the sand. And we were talking about it afterwards. We were like, Wait a minute, we didn't make the rules about the offseason program. But, you know, there's starting to be sort of this, you know, a little bit more of the whole us inside this room, inside this building versus all of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, again, I, I kind of go back to it, the, the whole, this report day has always been a big deal. What, like the Browns in-house media has always made a big deal out of it. Um, again, we've, we saw the Hugh Jackson speech last year. Yeah, I think it made it on that building, the Browns show, and they always make a big deal out of it. And it was a little more muted this time. And I do wonder if some of that comes from Freddie Kitchens wanting to kind of control, have control over the message, have control over what he wants out there. Um, and this is the time of year when you can do that as a coach because you don't have to talk to the media every single day, and we aren't in the locker room every single day. So it's hard to really get a, a feel and a read on this team right now that'll, that'll happen when we're kind of around every day but um right right now freddie is, is trying to control the message and, and he's doing a good job of it like they are they are doing the building the brown series again which i believe yeah. starts on the fifth um so we could end up seeing that yeah. they might have yeah, wanted exactly. to save it and not throw That's that true. out there and that might be yep. one of the reasons why they're doing that we'll that could be it out. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's not really a lot to talk about what Freddie had to say. Um, I mean, the, the only real newsy things that happened were, of course, um, Duke Johnson, as you reported, mm-hmm. uh, his representatives requested a trade. Um, Emmanuel Agba was traded yep. that day, and a slew of other cuts happened, and so that'll lead us into kind of our, our last topic here, and that's the fact that if you were drafted by Sashi Brown, yep. and if you're a borderline guy or a guy that's not an impact sort of player on this team you should probably watch your back because John Dorsey has shipped out a lot of the the players that Sashi Brown brought in with those 24 picks yeah there are only currently six players remaining from the 24 Sashi Brown draft picks and I believe only 10 players on the roster that predated John Dorsey 
Now, the draft picks are, if I can remember them off oh, the top of my head, <laughs> Miles Garrett, David Njoku, and Larry Ogunjobi mm -hmm. from 2017. Yes. And then from 2016, now I'm starting to forget who the 2016 guys are. Richard. Richard Higgins. Seth Devolve. Yes. And... This is a big one. This is a starter. <laughs> This is a starter, one of Greg Williams' favorite guys. Why am I forgetting? One of Blake Williams' favorite guys. Oh, Joe Schumer! <laughs> All right, so six guys left from the 24. I think John Dorsey's trying to say, he's backing up what he said when he first showed up. They didn't have real players here before. I'm going to get real players on this football team. And at every turn, he's doing everything that he possibly can uh, to get something out of those other players, like Emmanuel Ogbuck trading him. He's traded a lot of these guys away. A lot of these guys are gone in trades, um, including Jabril Peppers, you know, a first-round pick. So, I, you know, it's it's basically a, a statement. He continually makes the statement that, I didn't like what they had on the roster here. I did not like what I saw. I don't like anything that happened during those two years. Yes, thanks for the money. Thanks for the assets. <laughs> but now I'm getting all your guys out of here. Well, I don't know if that's so much an indictment of, of Sashi Brown as it is that, number one, we expect teams to, to, you know, new GM or even new coach to kind of get their own guys in there, right? And also, it's not like they were having a lot of success with those players right. when John Dorsey showed up. You know, they won in 31. So, um, so there's that. I think one of the things that makes it even more visible is the fact that there were so many picks in 2017. And there were so many picks. They had basically had like three drafts in two years. Yeah. You know? Right. Uh, so from that standpoint, you, we know these players because they, they were thrown into the fire so early. Right. You know, he kept all his – Sashi kept all his rookies his first year except for, I think, Scooby Wright yep. was, was let go eventually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so Scooby did make the initial roster. I know that. Yes. But – But he's yeah, yeah. Eventually, eventually let go. So Right. So these players are around, and they became visible, and and people and, and fans remember them. And but I think it's more a case of the volume and just the the standard of, of a GM wanting his own guys. Right, and you know the other thing that I think it, it shows and proves is uh, this this you could do a whole topic on all of this, uh, <laughs> but in terms of trying to build a roster, you cannot try to put twenty four rookies on a football team in two seasons. You don't need that many draft picks each year. There are many more ways to build a roster than by drafting young, unproven talent that you have no idea if they're going to be a bust or not. And I think that's what John Dorsey has, has tried to say is, look, let's go out and trade for players who you know whether or not they can play, and let's find other ways of building this roster. And, I mean, he loves trades because, I mean, you know what you're getting. You don't know mm -hmm. what you're getting in the draft. Uh, and as we sit here, you know, they've got eight draft picks. The draft is almost an afterthought this year. Sure. I mean, now they're at that point where, you know, the draft is, is going to be used to build and things like that. But, I mean, for the most part, you know, beyond the third round, it's all a crapshoot anyways. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Obviously, you build valuable assets through the draft. That's mm -hmm. where you get guys. They're cheap. They're on rookie deals. I mean, Baker Mayfield is a guy that's going to be on a rookie deal. He's going to be a $30 million a year player, you, you would hope, over these next few years, and he's going to make less than $10 million a year. Uh, same with a guy like Miles Garrett. He's going to be a, a quarterback contract level type player, you hope, 
who's going to be making that rookie money, but you've got to have veterans on your team that just know how to play right? and, and that know what to do week to week. And, and one of the things that the Browns did was they just put out so many young guys, and they, mm-hmm. they almost got too young. Oh, yeah. And these guys just didn't know how to be professional NFL players right. on a day-to-day basis. And some of them would have flashes here and there. Um, you know, a guy like Carl Nassib, I don't know that he would have had the season here that he had in Tampa last year. I think he had like five sacks in Tampa last year. I mean, good for him. Maybe he'll stick. Maybe he'll not. Maybe he won't. I don't know. But he was in a situation where he got thrust out there as a starter when he shouldn't have been a starter. Um, And and so when you bring in guys like a TJ Carey or a Terrence Mitchell, you know, are these guys going to be your long-term answers? I don't know. But now it gives you room to draft a guy. And if he comes out and wins a job like Denzel Ward, great. If not, he can take some time to develop and learn and, and learn how to be an NFL player. You know, I maintain that, okay, they were already at 3-13 and 13 when Sashi Brown and that crew took over. If they had, let's just say, for instance, if John Dorsey had come in that first year after 3-13, and 13, hmm. I think they would have gotten this turned around very, very quickly in the same way that he did it in Kansas City. You've seen what he's done in the last 16 months here. He has completely overhauled this roster. So I think he would have taken those assets, and there were many then, too. I mean, there were plenty of assets heading into uh, even that very first season. Uh, so I think he would have, instead of this long-term rebuild thing that they were trying to do, I think he would have just come right in and just blown the whole thing up and just made trades and, and done the same thing that first year. I feel, like I, I feel like I'll be kind of surprised if they do bring in eight drafted rookies right. this year, that they actually use all those picks to right. bring in players. Because if you look at the amount of uh, people they've signed here uh, in the past month, uh, a lot, most of them are you know backup Backup people, especially on the offensive line, um, you know, you, you get some competition there maybe. But but for the most part, backup. Eric Murray? Mm-hmm. It is Eric, right? Yes. yes. Eric Murray. Um, is he a starter at strong safety? Not, not, you know, his past experience at Kansas City doesn't suggest that he's coming here to be a starter. So uh, I'd be surprised if they if they bring in a bunch of rookies to, to kind of come in behind starting players who are already young, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, he likes his, he likes his veterans. He likes the players who, who have already produced in the NFL. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if you see trading picks for, for future picks. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, there was, so I, I kind of looked through the roster, even look at undrafted guys. I mean, Trevon Coley is a guy that's a holdover. Even you go back to Ray Farmer picks, the Ray Farmer picks that worked. Those guys are, are starting to, to thin out. Danny Shelton was traded last year. Um, Duke Johnson probably on the way out here. You've got Christian Kirksey, Joel Batonio. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing these past regimes guys, which tends to happen, but it, again, it's so overwhelming because Sashi Brown brought in so many people. And John Dorsey made it very clear from the start, like you said with that radio interview, that he wasn't real impressed with the roster when he took over. And it was a winless roster at the time, so, so yeah. it makes sense. Those guys are getting jettisoned. Well, I also think that once they arrive at where they want to go, which is winning a Super Bowl, I think they want to make it perfectly clear you know, that they did this with their own talent, that they built this championship team. You know, They're going to make sure that, because how often do you, you, know, do you say, well, Sashi gave you this, Sashi did this for you, Sashi set the table, Sashi gave you the assets. Well, they're making it perfectly clear that this is John Dorsey's team, Elliot Wolf's team, Alonzo Highsmith. This is their roster, 
not Sashi Brown. Yeah, they're the ones that they're the ones that picked those guys last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they certainly had a lot of assets to work with, and they have a ton of money to work with. But they had to go in there and make those picks. And as of right now, it looks like they hit on three of those top four. And we're going to find out about number four mm-hmm. uh, this season pretty quickly. I have a question for you guys. If they had known that Emmanuel Agba wasn't going to work out the way that they wanted him to, do you think they would have drafted Bradley Chubb over Denzel Ward? I, I, I think they probably still valued a guy that they view as a shutdown corner. I think sometimes it depends who you talk to. Some, some people will tell you that an edge rusher is the second most important position. Other people will tell you cornerback is the second most important position. And I just think when you when you took Denzel Ward at number four, they might have said that it was because of Emmanuel Ogba, but I really think they valued the idea of having a, a, a guy they projected as a shutdown corner. Yeah, I think I would agree. I don't know that Ogba showed anything uh, in previous years that would lead them to believe that he was... Um, a definite answer. I think wanting Ward kind of overshadowed mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and, and part of that, I think, uh, wasn't it, that Greg Williams had a lot of input in yeah. that. And it, he wanted the shutdown corner more than he wanted the pass rusher. I think John Dorsey presented him almost with, with an option between the two. And I think Greg wanted Denzel because he needed that shutdown guy to, uh, you know, to power his defense. I'm thinking he could probably create pressure off blitzes. Right. Enough to you know to offset whatever he wasn't getting from Agba. Speaking of Denzel Ward and, and going back to to Sashi real quickly, I don't want to start a firestorm here, but I mean, how different do those assets look if Deshaun Watson doesn't tear his ACL in practice? Oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, it's easy to look back and say, well, Sashi got him that number four pick and that number thirty five pick, but only because Deshaun went down. That ACL tear doesn't happen. The yeah. pick might be number fifteen or number seventeen or. Those assets don't look as good. There's there's a lot of things that happen in football and a lot of chain reactions that happen in football that you can't predict. And that's why those really long-term rebuilds, they, they don't usually work no. out. You need a lot of things to kind of go your way. And, um, you know, certainly you don't you don't want a guy to get hurt, but that, that ended up helping the Browns and making those assets right. look a lot better. Definitely. All right, well, that will do it for another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, Google Play, and, and Mary Kay. And we have something new. We mentioned it on our last podcast. It's called Project Text. Uh, you can find the links to those at a lot of our stories right now. And basically what it is is each day I will send a text to your phone, or almost every day, I will be sending a text directly to your phone, mostly about thoughts, opinions, analysis on things that just happened. For instance, yesterday, uh, mine was about how I felt about Odell Beckham Jr. not being here full-time for the off-season program. Uh, The day before that, some thoughts on Duke Johnson and uh, the trade situation there. Uh, So it's a little bit of a fee, but I think it's less than a caramel latte at starbucks per month i think uh our boss dave campbell has tweeted out something like 13 cents a day 13 cents a day for that text um so and then also i have been actually responding back to some uh text you know just individual texts uh from some people in the group so trying to do a little bit of that too so if you get a chance sign up and hopefully you'll like it all right for scott and mary Kay, i'm dan thanks for listening everybody